Welcome to Egg Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Bayer Crop Science is a proud supporter of influential women in Canadian agriculture. As a member of Canada's agricultural community, we recognize the hard work and contributions made by women to this important industry and support the sharing of their voices, stories, challenges, and achievements as a way to recognize everything they bring to the table each and every day. Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, editor for Top Crop Manager East and Fruit and Vegetable Magazine. And I'm welcoming you here today for one of our IWCA or Influential Women in Canadian Agriculture podcasts. Today I'm speaking with Mary Ruth McDonald, Professor of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph. So glad to have you here today. So to get things started, could you tell us a little bit about your current role and your background in agriculture? Where did you get started and how? Yeah, my current role, as you mentioned, I'm a professor in the Department of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph, and I'm also a research program director at the university with the Ontario Agri-Food Innovation Alliance. That's a fun part of my job because I get to chair review committees that allocate money for research, so it's always nice to be able to give away research funds. Oh, as a professor, of course, I do some teaching and uh, focus on research. A lot of it is in vegetable crops, especially in the Holland Marsh in Ontario. But I also uh, work on disease of canola called clubroot. And that is in collaboration with researchers in Western Canada because Canola is important in Ontario, but it's hugely important in the West. Yeah, how did I get into agriculture and end up as a professor? I've always been interested in plants and then later on the environment. And that led me to the University of Guelph. I did my bachelor's in environmental biology at Guelph. That department became part of the School of Environmental Sciences over time. And while I was doing my bachelor's, my interest in plants sort of developed into an interest in plant pathology um, and just crop protection in general, learning some things about how devastating plant diseases can be. um, And, you know, that interest in learning more about what could be done to protect plants. And when I finished my bachelor's, I knew I wanted to be a plant pathologist, but I also knew I didn't know enough at that stage to be a plant pathologist. So I um, did a master's. And when I was finishing my master's, the funding had run out. So I took a summer job as a pest management scout in the Holland Marsh and just um, fell in love with the marsh really enjoyed the job as a scout where I got to take what I'd learned at university and actually apply it in the field. And then I've ended up being focused on the Holland Marsh for almost my entire career, except for a little less than a year as a potato pathologist in uh, in Prince Edward uh, Island. And I worked for the provincial government for OMAFRA 
as a pest management specialist and then uh, decided to go back and do my PhD. So I did my PhD part-time while working full-time. And then in uh, 1997, the research branch of OMAFRA merged with the University of Guelph. So I became an employee of the university and have been there ever since. Nice. I mean, it's amazing what you can gain from a summer job. Exactly. Yeah. Since coming to my position, I've learned that the Holland Marsh is kind of a unique crop system, ecosystem. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the Holland Marsh uh, is unique. The soil is very high organic matter soil, so 50 to 80 percent, as opposed to often one or two percent in mineral soil. So it's kind of like farming on peat moss, but it's great uh, for a lot of vegetables because it's got high soil moisture holding capacity, if you think of peat moss. And the soil is very loose and light. So if you've got carrots or onions, they can easily push away from each other as they grow. And that often leads to higher yields. Occasionally, I've seen carrots grown on mineral soil where the sides are actually flat because they've been pushing, pushing together as, as they grow. And, and that doesn't, doesn't happen in the Holland Marsh. So it is highly productive. And it's, I think it's the most intensive area of agriculture in Canada. You could argue that some of the greenhouse production in Leamington is even more intensive, but the land is so valuable that there are no fence rows, there there are no hedges, nothing separating one grower's field from the next because it's important to use every little bit of that soil that you can. Wow, I didn't know it was that productive. That's, I mean, I can understand why you wanted to kind of focus your research and your career there. Well, and I was talking about plant protection, being so intensive, that provides challenges as well, because the um, two major crops are onions and carrots, and those are excellent rotation crops. They have almost totally different insects, diseases, and weeds, but when they're growing side by side, even when you rotate the crops, it's really easy for an insect to fly over to the neighboring field or for airborne fungal spores to spread throughout the entire marsh. So it has its benefits, but its challenges as well. Do you have a favorite pest to research or one that's like your nemesis? (laughs) Well, right now, the nemesis is a fungus that causes stemphilium leaf blight. I do have research programs on that with graduate students and We've published lots of papers, but the fungus has developed resistance to essentially all of the fungicides that we have registered right now. And so we can do disease forecasting and we're improving on that. But if you have no effective tools to use, disease forecasting doesn't help as much, but our disease forecasting needs to be improved as well. When we do our trials, some years our forecasting programs will recommend five or even seven fungicide sprays. 
And then when we get to the end of the season, there's almost no difference between what was sprayed and the untreated onions. That could be because of the fungicide resistance. But then some years when we look at yield, there is no difference in yield either. So that tells us that the forecasting system is recommending way more fungicide sprays than are needed uh, when there's the weather's just not conducive for disease development. So we're kind of going back to square one and trying to, to figure out these things. So at least we can say confidently, you don't need to spray right now. There's low risk of disease. Yeah. If you don't have to spray, it's so much, and it prevents that additional development of resistance if there is anything in the field that doesn't have it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You may have already touched on this, but what do you like best about your role? Well, as I said, one of the things that I always enjoy is taking the knowledge and information that I learned at university and that I, I'm still learning and applying it in the field to real life situations. That, that just is so fulfilling. I also like the fact that every day is different. Even when a day or a week is planned, you're really never quite sure what is going to, uh, to develop. And one of the things with our move from government to the university was the opportunity for me to uh, supervise graduate students. And that's a, a really good part of this position as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, between what you said about using your what you've learned in the field and kind of the extension work you do, it seems like building those connections and kind of sharing your knowledge with others is a big part of what you do, big part of what you enjoy doing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's great. And especially because you also work with, I can't quite remember the name of it, I apologize, but the organization that distributes the funding, you can kind of see what the up and coming research is and what, what other folks are doing that's interesting. That is a really good part of the job. Yeah, it's a relatively new name. It used to be the for University of Guelph Partnership. So people might be more familiar with that. And a couple of years ago, the name was changed to the Ontario Agri-Food Innovation Alliance. So, you know, that all makes sense, but it does take some, some time to, to, uh, to learn that new term. But yeah, reading all of the grant proposals, seeing all the interesting ideas that people are coming up with is good. And then tying it to my position as a professor, over the years, and even this past winter, I often teach the um, grad student seminar course where grad students present their thesis proposal to the department. And a number of those grad students are funded through the, the money that comes from the, we'll shorten it to the Alliance. So that is a, a very nice connection too, to see the ideas and the research funding and then see the graduate students who are actually working on these programs and supported by those funds. What is the biggest or what is a very large risk that you've taken over the course of your career? Yeah, and I haven't, done too many risky things as part of my career. The change from being an OMAFRA employee to being a university employee was a challenge and 
there were a lot of changes involved in that, but that wasn't my risk. That, that was something that happened. I did, after my master's, I did take a job in Prince Edward Island in extension, but lots of people move across a few provinces to, to take a new job. So I don't know if, if that really counts very much as a career risk. A life risk when I, I finished my um, master's before I got the job in Prince Edward Island. I um, got on a plane, flew to England, and went to Israel to work on a kibbutz for the winter. And I did that all by myself when I was in the, my mid 20s. I had a book, Europe on Five and Ten Dollars a Day, and that was my guidebook to find youth hostels and and stuff. And so that's probably one of the riskiest kind of life risks that I ever did. I feel like I know the answer to this, but it was worth it. It was a great experience. Oh, yeah. It, it was another really interesting learning experience. Definitely a good thing to do. I did miss my friends. I was, was lonely, even though I met lots of new people. I realized the value of you know, the friendships of people that you'd had over many years, but an amazing learning experience for sure. How long were you away? Six or seven months because I, I worked as a summer student, a pest management scout in the Holland Marsh, and I had the job lined up to come back and work as a summer student again. So that made it easy to go away for the winter get away from Canadian winters, uh, knowing that I had a job and some income when uh, I returned home. That's really incredible. And you do learn so much about yourself and about the world by traveling. Exactly. Yeah. On a, I suppose, similar topic, can you talk about a particular challenge that you've faced and what you've learned from it? The challenging part was making the adjustment from being an uh, employee of OMAFRA, I was uh, successful in that position. I become the manager of the station. I was very confident working with the growers and running the pest management program. And then going to the university, the rules were changed. So many things were different. The emphasis was on teaching, of course, and writing papers. And also, we made that change. I had twin boys that were less than a year old. Okay. And um, the, just the first couple of years of teaching the first classes and trying to find the time to write the scientific papers that you need as a professor and a researcher, that was a difficult adjustment. And I did as a part of all of this, I got turned down for tenure at the start, too. So that's a really difficult uh, setback when you're in the, an academic situation. But yeah, I learned that you just keep going and get through it and keep learning. You know, what you needed to succeed in government was different than what you needed to succeed at a university. And it surprised me a bit that it took me as long as it did to figure out what was needed to succeed at the university, but I did. It all worked out and I'm a full professor now, so <laughs> all good in the end. 
that is a lot to learn and balance at once to have to be raising a young family and to have a sudden major shift in your job. Yeah, definitely the most challenging uh, part of my career. Well, happily, that's behind you now. Yes, and it does get easier and, and it is easier for sure. And hopefully in turn, what was a major accomplishment or a defining moment for you? Certainly there have been a few, but one uh, that I'm really proud of. In 2015, I was invited to be the keynote speaker at the Swedish Plant Protection Congress. And this was a conference, a congress, that they hadn't done for 10 or 20 years. So they were trying to get back into having these scientific meetings. And I was invited to talk about the future of crop protection. So I was thrilled. Somebody was aware enough of my work and what I was doing that they thought I would be a good speaker for this. And it was so interesting to spend a number of months integrating all of the things that, that I knew, what I'd read about trends, where things were going, and to pull it together to, to do that uh, presentation. So really interesting topic, challenged me to think about this, and just wonderful to be recognized and invited to do that. That's incredible. What's the best piece of advice you've received yeah, the um, best piece of advice that I've received, or one that I come back to from time to time, I don't think anybody actually said this to me, but I did read it on a coffee mug. <laughs> and when I talk about coffee mugs, a good friend of mine, her favorite slogan from a mug was no guts, no glory, which I understand. But one that I've come back to from time to time is living well is the best revenge. And in a way that, that has some negative connotations, but one of the things I wasn't thrilled about in government and I'm not thrilled about in academia is paperwork. And every now and then there seems to be another level of administrative stuff or paperwork that becomes part of my job. And I, I go through a couple of days of just being angry and frustrated and, you know, how can they do this? And how am I going to be able to function with all this extra stuff they want me to do that isn't the important part of my job? And uh, that's the time when I kind of go back to that slogan or saying, and it, it kind of helps me put things into perspective and, you know, don't let this get to you living well, doing what you want to do, doing an interesting job like I have. That, that's the best way to, uh, to deal with it. So I don't know if revenge is actually the right word, but it, it definitely helps me put things into, uh, into focus and keep going when those administrative things get frustrating. And what advice would you give to others who are thinking about pursuing a career in agriculture? Well, agriculture is so broad. There's so many things that can be done in agriculture. Advice in with agriculture or academia, certainly work hard is, is pretty much a given. Probably the next thing is figure out what you really like doing because 
there is such a, a broad range. And even with research, when I talk to colleagues or I actually ask prospective grad students and others, what part of research do they like the most? And there's no right or wrong answer. Some people love being in the field, doing disease ratings or collecting data. For other people, that's the least fun part. I like that, but to me, the most fun part is running the statistics. But I think the, the main thing with agriculture is the range is enormous. And do the summer jobs, experience different areas of agriculture, and just figure out what you really like. Did you have a plan before you developed the appreciation for the Holland Marsh and the, the research possibilities there? Did you have kind of a trajectory in mind or were you open to whatever? Well, interestingly, when I was an undergraduate and even into my master's, I thought I'd never get a job in agricultural extension because I didn't grow up on a farm. And it seemed like a lot of people who were getting those jobs had this great farm background. So I was really more interested in diagnostics. I thought working at a diagnostic lab and getting all those samples in every day and being able to look at something under the microscope and knowing right away that that was stemphilium or botrytis or some other fungus would be really cool and really interesting. But that summer job at the Holland Marsh I learned a huge amount from the growers and being out in the field and looking at the plants every day. So after a couple of years of that, I had developed a lot more confidence to not necessarily tell growers what they should do, but at least being confident that this is this particular disease and these are the recommendations for, for controlling or preventing it. If you could go back to the beginning of your career, what advice would you give yourself? Fairly simple, but I would tell myself that it's okay to say no more often and to be sure to carve out time to get the important things done. It took me many years to realize that I didn't always have to change my schedule to fit other people's meeting schedule or whatever. It was perfectly fine for me to say, no, I'm busy that day. Let's find an another day that works. And one thing I, I still struggle with at times is spreading myself too thinly. There's so many interesting things, so many interesting projects, but sometimes I just have to say no to make sure I can focus on, on what's important. And I wish I'd learned that earlier on in my career. It's, it's a very valuable skill, but it is hard, especially this, those first few times where you feel like you will miss out on something or you'll lose out on opportunities or be seen differently. But it's so much more beneficial for you and people will respect that. Right. And it, it did take some time. You know, I, I felt more that people expected that I would figure out or I would adopt my schedule to theirs. And then I'd end up working on the weekends to get caught up on the stuff that I should have been doing during the week. But yeah, managing those expectations took some time to figure out. What keeps you excited about agriculture? Oh, it's 
amazing to to see plants growing. It's amazing to to see food being produced. I have so much appreciation for growers, all of the different things that they deal with in a, in a single day, all the different demands that, that they juggle. Now, I work in pest management and it's insects, diseases, and weeds, but that's only a small part of what a grower deals with every day. Uh, equipment breaking down, marketing decision. So there's just so much interesting stuff that goes on in agriculture every day. And it's so important. It's producing food or flowers or other things that are important to our lives. Especially the last couple of years during the pandemic, I think people are even more appreciative of understanding uh, the food systems and the importance of food production. And the good old crystal ball question. How do you see the agriculture industry changing in the next five to 10 years? And what do you want to see more of? Uh, One of the things that is developing now, and I think is going to become more and more important over time, is agrobotics and precision agriculture. Again, from a pest management point of view, robotic weeders, especially when there are labor shortages, that's really important. There's some that are being developed that are solar powered. So, you know, all good stuff. You don't need to burn oil or diesel and still get the weeds pulled out of the crop. But there's there's so much more. The, there are agrobots that are seeding crops. There's a lot of interest in, in using robots to scout crops. And robots, drones are part of that. We're still in the, in the early stages for sure, but there is a lot of interest. And I know there will have to be a big change in attitudes, not the right word, but just a lot of growers really like having large farm equipment. They enjoy climbing into the big tractor and driving the big sprayer, or the big seeder. And the switch to smaller farm robots is going to take a change in mindset. But there's so many good things about it. Apart from the fact that some can be solar powered, smaller pieces of equipment are less damaging to the soil. It can allow smaller areas to be seeded or harvested. So you can do more intercropping, more strip farming that has its advantages for pest management and for soil health. People are working on drones that can spot spray areas. So you reduce the amount of product that's being used and just regular precision farming. So you've got precision application of fertilizer where it's needed or herbicide or insecticide where it's needed. So There's lots of interest in that, and there are lots of benefits going forward, but there's still so much research and development that that needs to be done. We really want things that are simple. I just mentioned that growers have so many things on their minds, so a few will be really keen on learning about the robots, but Ideally, you want a a robot that somebody programs and it just does its job and you don't have to think about it very much. And we're still a long, long way from, uh, from that happening. This may be the same, but 
what would you like to see more of? Well, beyond the obvious, more dollars for research <laughs> and uh, more support for grad students. I do think that more development of the ag robots will have a lot of really valuable contributions to agriculture as we go forward. And probably some that we're hardly even aware of. But as I mentioned, apart from just putting less herbicide or insecticide on a field, allowing intercropping and a lot of other approaches that some of them are ones that were used, you know, thousands of years ago, then they became less efficient. And there was a real value in having big equipment and big farms that can produce food efficiently. But I think we will be able to go back to some of those other practices when we have the cheap labor that's provided by these robots. Yeah, I think the labor shortage is really driving a lot of innovation, but also specifically in the ag robot and ag technology field. So it will be interesting to see what happens and always more money for grad students and research. <laughs> right. It's been lovely talking to you, Mary Ruth. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Ag Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Ag Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts or visit eggannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes. Thank you.